Uh, my name is Brandon. I'm one of the teachers here at Ethos, and I'm over at Marathon most weeks, and uh, Larkin invited me to come over today and to teach. And uh, I love getting to come over here. That um, You might not see it if you guys are here every week, but there's something really special kind of going on um, in this place, in this campus. And uh, I have several friends, and those of you I don't yet know, you'll become friends hopefully soon. And, uh, but I think the Lord has something really special for us. You know, I, I really sense the Holy Spirit is in this room, that that what God has been stirring and orchestrating today, that he has some huge plans for us. And so I think so often we, we come to worship and we, we kind of expect very little from God. And, and honestly, it's because we feel like we have very little to give. We're tired and class and work and finals and children and all these things just have a way. And so we can, it's like everything we can do to even walk through the doors this morning, right? Like that's where some of us are. And here's what's so cool. We're staying in the back and Callie's like, hey, I want to read this passage over you, uh, Matthew chapter 11, 28. And I'm like, holy crap, like... Okay, Lord, like he put that passage on my heart. We're going to be talking about that same passage. Callie and I didn't talk about that. And, and I'm going, the Holy Spirit is, is with us, that, that we serve a very real God and he's here. And, and so I want to just encourage us to, to keep your ears open this morning, not to things that I'm going to say. And I apologize for saying, holy crap, I shouldn't have said that in church. Like, um, I lost some of you already, so forgive me, I'll repent. And, uh, but we're going to be in Exodus chapter 14, and uh, it's on page 32 if you're using one of our Bibles. If you don't have a Bible, pull out your phone, uh, download the Bible app, feel free to get up and grab a Bible. We'd love for you to read along with us. There's something about um, us looking at the words of the Lord, putting them before us, setting our face um, before them that just uh, stirs something in us. And so you guys, glad to be here this morning. Okay, two people are, and uh, so that's good. And the rest of us are just shy. That's okay. Let's, uh, let's pray. I want to invite you to, to put your hands out in front of you as, as we begin this morning. And it's just, you don't have to do this if you feel uncomfortable, but it's just kind of a way of, of us showing the Lord, Lord, we have whatever you have for us, that, that we are here for you, and uh, this is all about your glory. And so, um, God, we come to you this morning in the powerful name of Jesus. We come to you because of his blood that has covered us, that has made a way for us to not just enter your presence, but to dwell in your presence now and forevermore. You're an amazing father. You shepherd us so well. You know our needs, you know our hearts. Um, God, I, I expect that you will meet us in this place in a very significant and holy way this morning, not because we are good, but because you are good, because you delight in us. Zephaniah 3.17, because you delight in using us for your glory. Pray this morning your Holy Spirit would fill our lives that you would raise our expectation of who you are. I pray that you would wake us up if we were tired, that you would let that coffee kick in, that you would allow us to be here with you this morning, Lord, that, that we would see you, that we would welcome in the light of your presence. God, we need you. We want you. Uh, we pray that you would drive away all darkness, all oppression in this place. Um, God, that you can do work with your people. In the name of Jesus, we pray. Amen. So a little over a month ago, we started um, looking at the book of Exodus, this idea of, of delivering to dwell. And the whole idea is that God is... Is working. He's a promise keeper, covenant keeper. He is working to move his people from oppression into this place of freedom where they can dwell with God, where, we, where the people of God can know God and see God and serve God without anything standing in the way. And so uh, this morning where our story picks up, you know, Larkin taught on this two weeks ago, just a killer job. You guys are very blessed to have this dude as a pastor, very gifted. And uh, he's kind of talking about the, the plagues and how the Lord had, had put the plagues on the Egyptian people, how he put the plagues on, on Pharaoh. And, and fi Pharaoh finally has this moment where he agrees to let the people of God go. So the picture leading up to Exodus chapter 14 is the Israelites are, are no longer in slavery. Instead, they're, they're tasting the first fruits of the freedom. 
the freedom that this adventure that God has for them as they're walking with God, as they're walking into the places that God is leading to them. And I just want you to imagine for a moment what they're feeling in this moment. They've been enslaved for 430 years, like 430 years. Their, their parents and their grandparents and their great-grandparents, it's all their family had ever known. And you just picture them as they're, they're walking out in the middle of the night, just filled with joy. You can just imagine them like dancing, like singing and worshiping. And as they're thinking about the, the goodness of God, as they're anticipating and expecting what, what lay ahead for them, you can just imagine them, them walking side by side, dreaming about what, what this next phase of their life is going to be like. They never thought they'd see this day. And here they are tasting the first fruits of their freedom. And I know this example falls way short in intensity, but, but maybe it will help you remember a time in your life where you experienced kind of this sensation. I remember taking my last college final and uh, walking out, uh, you know, I went to Lipscomb just across and walking out of, of the, the business school. And I wasn't even a business major. I don't know why I was walking out of there. That's so where we taking our final. And, and walking out of there and just this relief, like, the, the, the stress and the anxious knowing I will never take a final again. Like, I'll never have homework to do again. Like, the, the joy. And uh, here's what, it wasn't just about dwelling on the things that, like, were in the past. Like, that very next week, I was starting uh, my job in campus ministry. I was marrying court um, that same week. And so I was, like, so excited to let go of the past, to let go of homework, to let go of finals, and, and, and welcoming the things that awaited me. And you can just imagine a, a time in your life where, where, where something was weighing you down, and you let it go, and you're excited about the next adventure that God had for you. And this is the sensation that people of God are feeling. God has worked to free them. They're tasting the first fruits of the freedom. And this is where our story begins. I kind of have three points for us this morning. If you take notes, you can write these down. If you don't, you can um, just remember them. And uh, so here's the first idea, the, 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 rest, the, the relentlessness of the oppressors. First thing we're going to see in Exodus chapter 14 is the relentlessness of the oppressors. And so starting in verse 5, the relentlessness of the oppressors. Starting verse 5 of Exodus 14, page 32, if you're looking at our Bibles, it says, When the king of Egypt was told that the people had fled, Pharaoh and his officials changed their minds about them and said, What have we done? We have let the Israelites go and have lost their services. So Pharaoh had his chariot made ready and he took his army with him. He took 600 of the best chariots along with all the other chariots of Egypt with officers over all of them. The Lord hardened the heart of Pharaoh, king of Egypt, so that he pursued the Israelites who were marching out boldly. The Egyptians, all Pharaoh's horses and chariots, horsemen and troops, pursued the Israelites and overtook them as they camped by the sea near Pi-Haroth, opposite Baal Zephon. I don't know if I said those even close to right. So as Pharaoh approached, the Israelites looked up, listen to this, and there were the Egyptians marching after them. And they were terrified. And they cried out to the Lord. They said to Moses, was it because there were no graves in Egypt that you brought us to the desert to die? What have you done to us, Moses, by bringing us out of Egypt? Didn't we say to you in Egypt, leave us alone. Let us serve the Egyptians. It would have been better for us to serve the Egyptians than to die in the desert. And so there are several things I want us to notice in these, in these few verses. And here's the first. We, we just see the, the, the relentlessness of Pharaoh to enslave the people of God. You think about all the things that, that Pharaoh had seen God do, not just firsthand, but to his people. The, the, the power of God displayed in his own life right in front of him. 
Pharaoh's own advisors, his own trusted chief theologians in Egypt come to him and they say, there's something different about Yahweh God. There's something different about this God that you're messing with. And Pharaoh will have none of it. And Pharaoh has this moment where he decides that no matter what God has done, no matter uh, the, the power and the display of, of God in his life, he doesn't care. That all he wants to do is to enslave the people of God. He wants back what God has released. I love that it tells us in verse 9 that the Israelites were marching out boldly. I don't know if you caught that. I love that word. It says they were marching out boldly. I go, why were they marching out this way? It's because of what the Lord had done for them. It's what they'd seen God do. It's what they'd experienced with the Lord. You think about these moments in your life when, 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 when you've heard from the Lord. Think about a moment in your life when, when God has come through for you and you did not expect it. When God opened up a door for you. And isn't it true that those moments when, when God isn't distant, when God doesn't seem distant, when God is near, when, God, when, it, when it's those moments that you see that God cares and he sees you, there's something about that that just makes you like stand up tall and buff up your shoulders and, and, and walk in boldness because you know the creator of the universe sees you and he cares and there's something about the Israelites as they're marching out. They're not marching out cowardly. They're marching up with their shoulders strong because they realize that, that God Almighty has been working powerfully in their lives. But then it says their boldness, it turns into fear very quickly when their worst nightmare comes true. And they're dancing and they're singing and they look over their shoulder and they see their worst nightmare. And can you even imagine the swing of emotions they felt that day from, from freedom to fear? Going back to my cheesy analogy a minute ago, it'd be like me taking my final exam, dreaming about what life is going to be like, and then a couple hours later getting a phone call from my professor that I'd failed the final. <laughs> Repeat the class, couldn't start my job. Court's not going to marry someone that's failing a class, right? Like, their hopes, their dreams, their anticipation, their expectation quickly disappear when they see the relentlessness of their oppressors coming after them, armed and ready for battle. And here's what's so crazy. Filled with fear, they become delusional, forgetful. And we do this too. They say all these words to Moses, and you know they didn't say any of those things. They weren't saying, leave us alone in Egypt. They were crying out to God for deliverance in Egypt. But when the enemy came, when life was not turning out like they wanted or thought, They start to dwell on the way that the things used to be. But they forget what life was really like. And we all do this. When life is harder than we want it to be. We all say things like this. We utter things like this in our prayers. We say things like this to our friends. Even this week, myself, I've been in some just kind of some intense spiritual opposition the past few weeks. I'm going to talk about this a little bit later. The, the fear, the, the voices, the anxiousness, it's just kind of floating around in my head and in my heart. I came to the office on Tuesday, and I kid you not, I'm working on a sermon up in our office, and I had the thought, man, my life would be so much more peaceful right now if I wasn't following Jesus. You ever had one of those moments where you, you, you see the way, you feel the weight of the spiritual opposition? Like I think about one of my good friends, and five or six years ago, he was just in this, the middle of just this spiritual oppression, and he told me, Brandon, every night I'd, I'd go to sleep. He's like, I'm, I'm seeking the Lord. I'm, I'm praying. I'm after his heart. And every night I'm having these nightmares. The, the enemy is just waking me up. In my mind, he's just after me. He said, so I decided one night, I'm not going to pray before bed. I'm not going to seek the Lord. He said, and I kid you not, the, 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 the night that I quit praying, 
the nightmares didn't come. And my friend looks at me and he says, Brandon, it's just easier to, it's just easier right now to not seek the Lord because the opposition is so strong. You ever been there? The second point I want us to see, the, the relentlessness of the oppressors, the second thing I want us to see is the proclamation of the leader. Verse 13 of Exodus chapter 14, Moses answered the people, do not be afraid. Stand firm and you will see the deliverance the Lord will bring you today. The Egyptians you see today, you will never see again. The Lord will fight for you. You only need to be still. I love that Moses doesn't speak through Aaron. You know, this was his big hang up with the Lord calling him is that he was so fearful that he had this speech impediment, this stutter, whatever it was. And I love that he doesn't go get Aaron to speak to the people through. There's something about this moment where, where, where Moses looks at the people. And I don't know if, if God had, had given him a clear word about what he was going to do or if Moses just had this deep confidence in who God is and who God was. But he looks at these two million people, men and women and children. He says, do not be afraid. Don't be afraid, Callie. Don't be afraid, Jennifer. Don't be afraid. Stand firm, Taylor. You will see the deliverance the Lord will bring you today. The Egyptians that you see, you will never see again. The Lord will fight for you. You only need to be still. I love that Moses isn't looking at these people. It's not this pep talk telling them to look inside themselves. He doesn't tell them, hey, find the courage, muster up the courage. Look at all that you've done. Look at your swords. Look at your shield. Look at how strong, how confident, how able you are to fight the Egyptians. No, he says, don't be afraid because God, because God is going to save you from all your enemies. Don't be afraid because God will deliver you from all of your enemies. God is going to defeat them. I love that Moses doesn't call the people to remember the things that they'd seen God do in the past. He simply just calls them to look to God in the future. He says, don't run, don't be scared, don't turn back. Stand firm in faith. Trust in the Lord. I love that he speaks these words to him. Third point to Exodus chapter 14 is that in the water, there was both destruction and deliverance. In the water, there was both destruction and deliverance. Look at me in verse 15. It says, then the Lord said to Moses, why are you crying out to me, Moses? Tell the Israelites to move on. Raise your staff and stretch out your hand over the sea to divide the water so that the Israelites can go through the sea on dry ground. I will harden the hearts of the Egyptians so that they will go in after them. And I will gain glory through Pharaoh and his army, through his chariots and his horsemen. The Egyptians will know that I am the Lord when I gain glory through Pharaoh, his chariots and his horsemen. Skip down to verse 21. So then Moses stretched out his hand over the sea. And all that night, the Lord drove the sea back with a strong east wind and turned it into dry land. The waters were divided and the Israelites went through the sea on dry ground with a wall of water on their right and on their left. The Egyptians pursued them and all Pharaoh's horses and chariots and horsemen followed them into the sea. During the last watch of the night, the Lord looked down from the pillar of fire and cloud at the Egyptian army and he threw it into confusion. He jammed the wheels of their chariots so that they had difficulty driving. And the Egyptians said, let's get away from the Israelites. The Lord is fighting for them against Egypt. And the Lord said to Moses, stretch out your hand over the sea so that the waters may flow back over the Egyptians and their chariots and horsemen. Moses stretched out his hand over the sea and at daybreak, the sea went back to its place. 
The Egyptians were fleeing toward it, and the Lord swept them into the sea. The water flowed back and covered the chariots and horsemen, the entire army of Pharaoh that had followed the Israelites into the sea. Not one of them survived. But the Israelites went through the sea on dry ground with a wall of water on their right and on their left. That day, the Lord saved Israel from the hands of the Egyptians, and Israel saw the Egyptians lying dead on the shore. And when the Israelites saw the mighty hand of the Lord displayed against the Egyptians, the people feared the Lord and put their trust in him and in Moses' servant. This is the word of the Lord from Exodus chapter 14. You know, there's so much here. I wish we had two hours to just go through and, um, and unpack all this. You know, we could talk about God showing the Israelites that there's nothing in the physical world that's impossible for him. You got like 10 sermons right there. We could talk about how God allowed Moses to play a part in both the deliverance and the destruction of the enemies. Well, what I want us to see this morning is uh, the, the way that God gained glory for himself. So here's what I mean. I want you to think about the, the way the rest of the world would have heard this event, this story. How God, what he had done to the Israelites or to the Egyptians and for the Israelites. How in the same body of water, in the same moment, God both, God both dealt with the oppressors and with the oppressed. So Egypt runs into the water. They are, are wielding their weapons. They are working to intimidate. They're planning on using force to subjugate and to conquer. And I love what God says. Do you, do you remember what, what God said to Moses? He said, raise your hand. Raise your hand over the sea. And with one act of obedience, the raise of the hand, the water flowed. Every single one of the oppressors were destroyed. No fighting involved, just a hand raised. Meanwhile, in the same body of water, the Israelites walked the path that the Lord had made for them with a wall of water on their left and on their right. And not one Israelite died. Not one Israelite was unaffected. Just think about this for a minute. Can you imagine how the rest of the world would have heard this story and would have thought about this? Egypt and Israel were not the only two people groups on the planet. We're going to meet several other people groups in just a few chapters, like as you go on in the Bible. Can you imagine the way they would have processed and heard the God of Israel? You can just imagine them sitting in a coffee shop talking. <laughs> Wait, why were the Egyptians even in the water? How did they? Was there a hurricane? No, no hurricane. Did the Egyptians get in the water and swim across the water trying to get to the Israelites? Like why, how do they even end up in the water? How did this powerful force of, 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 of a kingdom, how did Egypt, how were all their, their, their leaders and their best warriors, how were they drowned in the water? You can just imagine the way the story went. God split the seas. The Israelites walked through the, the body of water. God used that same body of water to, to give freedom to the oppressed and to destroy the oppressors. And God just keeps saying, and Larkin touched on this, that he's after his glory, that the world will know who he is. And so you can imagine as people are hearing this, as you and I are wrestling with this question, like we have to think, man, either God really did split the seas that day or the Egyptians did something that was so irrational. They tried to swim across the sea like the swimming across the Gulf of Mexico. And God gained glory for himself 
by delivering one and by destroying the other in the same water. And I love how the story ends in verse 31, and it says this. And when the Israelites saw the mighty hand of the Lord displayed against the Egyptians, the people feared the Lord. They put their trust in him and in his servant Moses. The people feared and they trusted. Israel had seen his power, what he was capable of doing. They also saw his character, what he had done for his people. And I love the story in Exodus chapter 14. I love the whole Exodus account. And if this was the only layer to the story, if this is all that we had, it would be enough. It is so beautiful. It is so rich. It is so wonderful. We see that God is a covenant keeper. We see that God is able to deliver from oppressors. We see the sovereignty of God. We see so much about God in this story that is beautiful and lovely. But just like every scripture, there are so many different layers to this text. And so while this is a very much a historical event, there are so much, there's so much in this story that, that both creates a longing and a hunger in us for Jesus. And there's another layer in the story that just speaks directly into our stories, into our lives. So here's what I mean. When do you think about the, the relentlessness of, of our oppressors? We don't have another nation enslaving us right now, right? We aren't oppressed by any other countries. We don't relate to the people of Israel in this regard that, that we don't know what it's like to spend 430 years in slavery. I was reminded this week of the words of Paul in Ephesians chapter six, where he says, our struggle is not against flesh and blood. The opposition that we face is not against flesh and blood. It's not against each other. The opposition that we face is against the rulers, against the authorities, against the powers of this dark world and against the spiritual forces of evil in the heavenly realms. I think about what Peter, the apostle of Jesus said as he's writing down these words for Christians, for us. He says in 1 Peter chapter 5, verse 8, he says, your enemy, the devil, prowls around like a roaring lion looking for someone to devour. Or have you ever read the book of Job that, that it's this man who is blameless and upright in the sight of God and the enemy just sets his target on him. In the oppression, the oppression, the oppression of the enemy. And I just, I think so often we come here, we don't even realize the battle, the struggle, the opposition that we're even facing. That the enemy so distorts our thinking, that he has so convinced us that it's us. It's been my experience that anytime someone becomes a follower of Jesus, that anytime someone comes to Jesus and Jesus sets them free, the oppressors don't give up. The oppressors keep coming. It's not a sign of a Christian if you never face opposition, if you never face oppression. In fact, it's a sign that you are in Christ. Facing opposition from the enemy. Think about this in your life for a minute. Where has the enemy been coming after you? Where has the oppression been coming into your life? What has been lurking in your mind, in your heart? What are the lies that are being spoken? What is working in your life to enslave you, to oppress you, to separate you from the freedom you have in Jesus Christ as a son or daughter of the Most High God? What are the things that are being spoken to you that that you know you don't want? You know you don't want to get on the computer at night. Search out images. You know you don't want to call him and for him to come over. You know what it's going to mean. You know that you 
are being prideful and arrogant. You know that you've been forgiven of your sins. And yet the enemy, just like the Egyptians, is relentless in his oppression. Seeking to enslave us from the things that God has freed us from. We believe his lies too easily. We accept his harassment. So what do we do when the relentlessness of the oppression for those of us who are in Christ keeps coming? I love the proclamation of our leader, Jesus. We could look at a thousand different passages this week. I literally just pray, Lord, what is it that you want me to say here? What's a passage? And Lord laid on my heart, Matthew chapter 11, verses 28, 29, and 30. This is what Jesus says. Come to me. Come to me. Come to Jesus. Come to me, all you who are weary. Come to me, all you who are burdened. And I will give you rest. Take my yoke upon you. Learn from me. I'm gentle and humble in heart. You will find rest for your souls for my yoke is easy. My burden is so light. So what does Jesus tell us to do when when the enemy comes after us? Are we helpless? Are we supposed to to be like the Egyptians and to see this body of water in front of us and the oppressors behind us? We feel like we are trapped, like there's nowhere to go. And Jesus looks at us and he says, in the midst of the oppression, as the enemy is speaking to you, as as you're going to class, as you're driving to work, as you're laying in bed at night, as you are, are feeling the weight of the spiritual oppression, come to me, come to me. Seek his face, church. In the midst of the oppression, pray. Call in the name of the Lord. Open up the word. Dive into the scriptures. Feast on the things that he has given to us. Come to Jesus. Come to Jesus. He says, take my yoke upon you. This idea of a yoke is the way that that teachers would describe their, their teachings, their way of life. And this is so beautiful what Jesus is saying. He says, when when you're feeling the oppression, come to me and take my teachings and apply them to your lives. Don't just read them. Bring them into your lives. Put them on. Take my yoke upon you. Learn from me. I love that Jesus doesn't come when when we're in the middle of this oppression. We don't come to Jesus and, and Jesus doesn't just give us a book of rules and say, here you go. He says, learn from me. How do you learn from someone? By watching them, by seeing them, by being with them. And I love this beautiful invitation that Jesus speaks to us, his people, in the midst of spiritual oppression. He says, come to me, live life with me, seek my face, put my teachings into practice in your life. And the reality is it's so hard to do this. I'm in the middle of oppression for the past couple weeks. I've been feeling, I've been feeling worry and stress and Court and I are trying to make some big decisions in life and, and I've been so worried about making the wrong decision and about si- like stepping into condemnation about making the wrong choice. And I've lied awake at night. I've woken up in the middle of the night. It's just been heavy on my heart like all throughout the day. And I'm like, oh, that's oppression. That is not for me. The enemy is trying to distort peace and interruption. Romans chapter 8 says there's no condemnation for those who are in Christ Jesus. And it's so hard in the midst of opposition, whatever your opposition, it's so hard to pray and to seek his face, especially when you fail, especially when you sin. It is so hard to trust in his mercy and his grace. 
But here's the reason we can trust him. Even in the midst of spiritual opposition, even when we fail, even when it feels like the darkness is closing in, there's no escape. And it's not because of the good things that we've done and it's not because we are strong enough in and of ourselves, we don't look inside of us and find courage. It's because of what we know about Jesus, what he has done for us. And I think we have to get this if we're gonna get the Exodus story, that, that Jesus was destroyed so that we could be delivered. And verse 30 hit me this week. Look at this verse. It says that that, that day the Lord saved Israel from the hand of the Egyptians. And what does the rest of that sentence say? And Israel saw the Egyptians lying dead on the shore. I go, what a graphic picture for the people of God to see. What a hard thing to see. And yet, I wonder what kind of peace it brought. Knowing that those who had oppressed them for 430 years would never oppress them again. That they no longer had power or authority or jurisdiction in their lives. As I was contemplating that verse, that them looking at the Egyptians lying dead on the seashore, I couldn't help but think of Christ. What you see in all four gospel accounts, Jesus is hanging on the cross dead for all to see and I was reminded that in the man Jesus Christ God really has destroyed our sin he's destroyed our oppressor he has taken away their authority that God has laid all of our sin this is 2 Corinthians chapter 5 verse 21 that he has put every one of our sins on Jesus so that we could be freed, so that we could be released, so that we could live a life of freedom and forgiveness in God with Jesus Christ. And it wasn't that Jesus just hung on that cross as a dead man. Nicodemus, Joseph of took his body down, laid him in a tomb. And then three days later, early on a Sunday morning, probably on a beautiful day like this, Christ conquered death. He came out of death. He laid our sin. He laid our shame in the grave. And he invites us to do the same. And I think we have to understand this. In the same man, in the same moment, there was destruction and there was deliverance. And when we grasp that, when we grasp that, that God would really allow his son Jesus to be killed for our sin, we will respond just like the Israelites. We will both trust him and we will fear him. Those two things are not opposed to each other. You see, when we understand that what God has done to rescue us, we realize that we can trust him, that we can trust his love for us. We can trust his desire to be with us. We can trust that he really has saved us. We can trust that he has invested much in us. That he has given us his son, Jesus, which means that he is not giving up on his investment yet. We can trust that he stands with us, continues to fight with us, to fight for us against the opposition that comes our way. And the people of God trust him. We trust him and we trust him and we fear him. Anyone who would sacrifice this much demands our all, our everything.
demands our obedience. And we show God that we fear him by doing what he says, by taking his yoke, by learning and obeying. So here in just a minute, Callie, the band, they're going to get back up. We're going to take communion. We do this every week. It's one of the most special times for us as believers. I'm going to invite you when we get up to, to go and get a piece of bread and to get a, a piece of juice and piece of juice, to get a cup of juice. I don't know how, get a piece of juice if you're real spiritual. And uh, uh, get a cup of juice, and, and you can go out on the porch. You can come back to your seats. But, uh, but I want you to think about this. For those of you who are followers of Jesus, I want you to invite you to do three things. Here's the first. Um, if you feel comfortable doing this, I want you to, to, to share with someone where the enemy has been trying to oppress and enslave you. What are the lies that he's been speaking? I want you to have the courage to share where the enemy has been trying to to oppress you. The second thing I want to invite you to do is, as you share these things, to pray for each other. And when you pray, don't just pray these empty, hopeless prayers. I want you to pray with power this morning. That the same God who who dealt harshly and viciously with the oppressors, that that he is the same God working to to, to work against our oppressors. And so when you're praying for each other, have the the courage to to name the things, the the way the enemy is really oppressing you. And then call the name of the Lord Jesus on behalf of each other that God would work, set you free. The third thing I want to invite you to do is come back in here after taking communion and to worship your faces off, if you can even do that. I've never seen that ever happen before. So, um, but I was reminded of Psalm chapter 8, verse 2 this morning, where it says, Through the praise of children and infants, God, you've established a stronghold against the enemy to silence the foe, to silence the avenger. And there's something about our worship of the Lord as we raise our hand, just like Moses, as we lay it all down for the Lord that he shuts up the enemy, that he drives him back. And I wonder if if one of the reasons that we are feeling oppression, I'm not saying this is a blanket statement for all of us, but for some of us, I wonder if the reason we're feeling oppression is because we are not laying our lives down in worship to the Lord. We're not raising our hand and laying it down because there's something about the people of God claiming all that God has given to us that the enemy flees. For those of you who are not followers of Jesus, if you would like to... Give your life to Jesus today. If you want to be delivered, if you want to know the the deliverance that comes through walking with Jesus, there'll be a few of us in the back and come find Larkin. Love to talk with you. Love to walk with you on this journey. We're so glad that you're here that we don't want you to think that you have to go through this by yourselves. That each one of us, when we were not followers of Jesus, that someone took us under their wing, someone walked with us and encouraged us and prayed for us. We want to be there for you. If you come here this morning, you're not quite ready to follow Jesus but you're still curious, you're still open. Feel free to take, uh, to go with uh, the believers as they're, as they're taking cr- uh, communion. I'd love for you just to share what brought you here this morning or something that stood out to you from the scriptures. Or if you just want to listen and pray and, and not say a thing, you can do that as well. Our God is working. We, we, he loves us. May we respond accordingly. Let's pray. God, thank you for this morning. Thanks for these men and women. We pray you pour out your spirit on us in communion, that you would meet with us. In the name of Jesus, we pray. Amen.